Hello, I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics, where we are <clears throat> blowing off the dust to our books that we should be reading. And uh, I think uh, Tony is going to be the angel for this one. I'll be the, the demon. So <laughs> that's uh, that's how we're going to answer what what is evil. Uh, that uh, is the book that we're covering, uh, A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory by Scott Christensen. And so we're in the middle of chapter three, Probing the Darkness, where we've kind of defined terms like evil and good and talked about two different strains of so a moral evil, uh, something that's uh, person-oriented that, that we can do or that other people can do. And then there's natural evil, things that kind of happen to humans, things like uh, storms and, and, and accidents and all uh, uh, toils and labors and diseases that might befall right. uh, As a result of the world. And as a result of the world being cursed. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. so that's what we've talked about is, is this kind of need to, to define uh, things biblically. We said that um, evil is, is, is a, a reflection of an all good God who owns us. And so when we rebel against that, that's where the evil uh, comes from. So mm. uh, that's part of the defining moral evil. We talked about uh, everyone having a conscience because we're made in the image of God. The, there, there's a certain capacity of that ownership that is laid upon our hearts. And, um, and so uh, we're picking it up right from there as, uh, as we go into evil as the antithesis of human flourishing. Mm. So mm. this is kind of uh, a looking at uh, the idea that a lot of um, people have of this uh, utilitarianism of, uh, you know, if it brings the most common good to all people, or the most amount of people, then that's good. That's but right. if it hurts that's people, then it's evil. <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, biblical morality has pervasive implications for our well-being, both as individuals and as a collective society. We rarely isolate evil merely as a personal problem. Oh, someone committed murder. Okay, well, why, why is it the state of Michigan versus whoever? Right. Well, because society has collectivized that as a a, uh, a, a wrong, a wrong against yeah. society as well yeah. as the person. Right. Whether right or wrong, I'm just saying that that's a, a that's the way a, we do it. A, yeah. a thing that's done. Yeah. <laughs> so we see uh, see it as a social phenomenon that's always exacerbates the problem of evil. Pervasive evil is never far from each one of us because each of us expresses it in our relationships to everyone around us. Again, we're the source of the evil. We're we're the ones that uh, have only ourselves to blame here. And um, it's it's the result of um, a fall. Right. So this moral evil is relational. Right. right? We, we don't necessarily <clears throat> keep it to ourselves. It affects us as well as God, right. our relation to God. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we don't invent the, the car or the um, transparent or the, 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 um, the iron lung or some sort of medical advancement just to use our own. We we do, you know, a, a common good by um sharing it out with other people. And so there we're aiding in human flourishing. Biblical theodicy will be one that restores peace. It will highlight reconciliation and redemption. It will restore the shalom between God and man, between man and man, between man and creation. All those things are, are things that, uh, that the biblical Christian worldview promises as an end result. Right. Um, what about evil as privation of good? Right. Now he talks here. That's good. I had a lot of good highlights in this <laughs> yeah. part. He talks here about um, three uh, historical Christian figures: uh, Saint uh, Augustine, uh, Saint Anselm, and Thomas Aquinas. Right. right, and he says they all three wrestled with this: the nature of evil in a world created by God. Uh, of pristine goodness, a question arose concerning the metaphysical nature of evil. 
And uh, they argued that evil does not have the properties of being. It is without substance. It is non-being, he yeah. tells us, right? So this is the evil as conceived as a privation is what the word they right. use. Corruption. That's right. It refers to a deficiency, a corruption, a decay, distortion, disorder, a you know deprivation of uh, some good feature that God created a thing to naturally pro, uh, possess, mm-hmm. right? So, it, you know, it's something that has gone wrong with the way things ought to be. It is a deprivation of the supreme goodness and beauty of God himself. So there, there's no such thing as, for instance, we might say coal. It's only lowering degrees of heat, mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe even the complete lack of right. it. Right. Or death is not the opposite of life, but it's a um, privation of life or perhaps of cloth. We might say can exist without a hole, but the hole cannot exist without the cloth. Right. Here's the hole. Right? Yeah. yeah. The, the hole in what is yeah. what you would ask. Right. Right. A shadow is nothing more than the obstruction of light and no light, no shadow. So sin, he wants us to see, is a parasite. It's parasitic. And evil takes the form of real defects with real effects. But it gets its power to do anything at all from the reality of the good things that it uh, deforms. So notice we're not saying that evil doesn't exist. Yeah, right? or, it's it doesn't have to, or it's right. nothing. Yeah. It has non-existence. No, no, no. It's a dip. Uh, a, a privation in terms of it, um, it uh, it's a deficiency in what is good, right? The corruption yeah. of what is good. And, right? and thus, God cannot be the creator that is the efficient cause of evil. Mm-hmm. So I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting. Really, yeah. really good stuff in this portion here. Well, who bears uh, the problem of, uh, of evil? That's the, the next question that uh, he's going to ask. Given the robust view of... Well, of course we do as Christians, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Given the robust view of good and evil and God that biblical Christianity promotes, one is tempted to suppose that Christians bear the greatest burden. Of course. Yeah, course, you know, right. you, you Christians always talking yeah. about, oh, sin this and, <laughs> yeah. and, and God this and yeah, the ultimate God's good supposed to be being. all good. Yeah, how, where does evil come yeah. from? That Ugh, kind of stuff, gross. Christianity bears this greatest burden by making sense of the parent dilemma that uh, that this presents. So, uh, you know, oh, the problem of evil, it's a problem for you Christians to explain all this evil. Shame on you. But is there reason for smugness among the non-Christian consentia? Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe not. not. Right? So again, as we talked about, it's the problem of evil. So we understand evil. Uh, we have to figure out what the, 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 the problems that it caused are and, and right. have classifications for that and, and understanding of how to negate those. But then for the, the non-Christian, oh, you have a problem of evil. Okay, can you tell me what evil is so that I can have a problem with it? Yeah. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, that, it's what I don't like. That may oh, be okay, well, fine. Chocolate ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Always chocolate ice cream. <laughs> so this is moral nihilism or, or moral realism. That's kind of the... Really, the uh, the uh, positions that the non-Christian can take, right? The so-called religious nuns, he says, have basically just these two paths to tread for grounding morals. The most obvious route, he tells us, is uh, Nietzsche's moral nihilism. Any objective morals and obligations don't exist. Mm-hmm. There is no morality. They are denied altogether, right? We have a full-blown here, he says, moral subjectivism. No moral choice is to be preferred over another. In other words, there is no discernible uh, ground for morality, right? right? 
And so he talks here, he gives us an illustration from the notorious serial killer Ted Bundy. And he kind of clearly expresses the logic of embracing this particular Which, view. We right? covered ex- exactly this quote uh, in in um, Mitch Stokes' uh, How to Be an Atheist, where, mm. when he kind of brought this factor up, too. Um, here's a little bit of, of what uh, Ten Bunny has said. Why should I be willing to sacrifice more pleasure from one than from the other? Surely you would not, in the scientific enlightenment, declare God or nature, mark some pleasure as moral or good or others as immoral or bad. In any case, let me assure you, my dear young lady, that there is absolutely no comparison between the pleasure I take in eating ham and the pleasure I anticipate raping and murdering you. That is the honest conclusion to what my education has led me after the most conscientious examination of my spontaneous and uninhibited self. Wow. And that's all that's left to, to people without yeah. this type of standard. It's whatever I think. Yeah. Why not? Whatever, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah I create well, it. Well, because yeah, he's in jail. Well, that just yeah. tells me that you can hold somebody. That doesn't right. tell me that their ideas are, are <laughs> wrong or right. Yeah. It, 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 if he takes us to a full-on conclusion and eats everybody <laughs> we might have an issue at some point but uh, that's just when for continuation off, right? of species but yeah. species have stopped continuing we i mean we we hunted animals to extinction the you know the bison is, is pretty much extinct the dodo bird is is only in in museums right. as, as uh, you know carvings so uh at, there, there's some remedy between uh animals and humans that we find fault with that something. Yeah, so, so notice we can say we don't like what he does yeah but uh who does he have obligations to if there's no God, right? Why would he have obligations to people to, to, to do anything mm-hmm. toward us, right? He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, again, we may not like it, yeah. but that's, so what, right? I, we don't like chocolate ice cream, right? We don't like a lot of things, <laughs> right? Ice cream, people ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, so that doesn't make, just because we don't like something doesn't necessarily, is what we see here, make something evil or good or whatever, right? Pineapple on pizza. <laughs> if you don't have a, you know, a universal standard that's set up by a person who is, who is judged, then you can be your own mm-hmm. and whatever you say goes. Right. And what can we say against that other than we don't like that? Yeah. I prefer you not to. Thank you. (laughs) So the vast majority of self-conscious, non-Christian, non-theistic thinkers obviously would be appalled by the, uh, you know, the arguments for moral nihilism that uh, Bundy makes, right? Uh, Few people, no matter how opposed they are to biblical morality, would affirm that Ted Bundy or, for instance, Jeffrey Dahmer's actions are morally incomprehensible. So notice, we're not saying that unbelievers can't know what is morally right or wrong and can't be what is do what is morally right or wrong right we're clearly you know the vast majority of the people would say this man what he's done is wrong in fact is evil right uh that so we're not saying that that's that's uh you know the position of the unbeliever right that um um that they can't do or know um evil or good but by what standard? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> by what standard are you able to call something good or evil? Uh, and why does that does that uh, sense that you have or that knowledge that you have, why is it opposed to me? Like even say that, oh, this this is the, the biggest human flourishing. Why should I care about human flourishing? Okay, sure, maybe it affects, uh, affects me. I, I might live a, a, a 10% better life, but I just don't want to. Yeah. So why... Why should I do anything at all? Yeah, yeah. No. So, so most of them then kind of reject this nihilism that you know that uh, Nietzsche has, uh, you know, kind of 
helped us to understand that it seems like atheism uh, is has to be associated yeah. with, right? Yeah, and a lot of people find good solace in, uh, you know, Nietzsche and, and, and especially in college, when you first learn about it in the, the Ubermenchers and, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the might of the will. And so the, the, there you all, all that you have left is not good evil. It's the, the might of the person to drive, drive that forward. You know, the Alexander, the greats of, of our the time. Superman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, even within Superman, he, he had uh, his Jorel crystal telling him you shall be, be a God as, <laughs> as among them. And then you had, and you needed Jonathan Kent to, to hone him in and uh, adopt him and say, no, you're also human, even though you come as an alien person, yeah, you're yeah. still my son. So right. it, it's a, uh, it's just neat to see that. So I had right. to get my nerdy, <laughs> in there so that this is mine and so what what we need to see here is that uh christensen is saying that most philosophers uh even unbelieving philosophers reject this kind of uh nihilism that uh that we see here yeah right? but it seems to be they reject it because they don't want it to be rather yeah. than yeah. rather than it's uh it's a it's it's more in line with the other one we know that's just society talking because society drives everything then. We just have societal standards. So what's the other one? Well, the, this explains why most secularists insist on traveling down the moral path of a moral realism. This is the idea that moral judgments are grounded in objective truth values or standards that are independent of the person making such value judgments. All right. So this is, uh, I think, an important concept, right? This yeah. idea of independence. So what do we mean by, you know, that these are objective Truths. Well, we mean that they're independent of what I believe or perhaps what my culture or society believes, right? They, they are true regardless of what, what we believe, right? That's what we mean by objective. So, you know, I like to use the illustration of, um, you know, the, um, uh, the tallest mountain above sea level, right? Mount Everest. Well, notice that's the tallest mountain on earth above sea level. Regard- what if I don't believe that? Well, it's regardless of what I believe, it's mm-hmm. objectively true. Well, what if my culture doesn't believe that? doesn't matter. It's objectively true. It's true independent of what I believe. And so the point he's trying to make here uh, that realism says is that there are some independent, objective, moral truths that exist. That's the realist position, right? And uh, he says, he's, he's suggesting here that most secularists, right, unbelievers, hold to that kind of position. Oh, but, but you're being circular because in order to understand that, you have to have language, and language is cultural, and so, therefore, you can't have language or objective truth. So it's all circular. All, all, all you presuppositional language people are, are circular, and, uh, you know, that, that's where you belong, out there. Okay. So, uh, uh such objective moral standards must be transcendent. It must be timeless, invariant, and universal. And herein lies the dilemma, how do you ground such moral judgments if God doesn't exist? Right. What do you point to that is timeless, invariant, and universal? On the other side of Mars or in your backyard, uh, murder is, is wrong. The, the, uh, the taking of a life uh, for someone who didn't uh, transgress upon you or deserve it, um, why is that wrong on any planet or um, on any timeline that you're on. All right. So we have these two positions that the secularists can take. They can say, uh, you know, morality really doesn't exist. There's no such thing as good and evil. It's all subjective. It's whatever people think, whatever people feel, that kind of stuff, which most reject. 
Or they can say, no, morality is objective. It's they, uh, that moral truths exist independent of us, and uh, you know, and that's why uh, you know we have to obey them, right? And so he says, the fact is that many atheist thinkers are flummoxed by the t- tension that exists between the logical bent toward moral nihilism, right? If indeed there is no God and, and, and therefore nothing matters, then the logical thing says, well, nothing matters and there's nothing good or evil. It's just whatever I think, right? So the tension between the logical bent toward moral nihilism that atheism leads to and the desire to retain some reasonable moral standards, right? Many, he says, waffle between moral realism and moral subjectivism. In the end, all non-theistic worldviews must borrow from the biblical theism to make any sense of objective moral standards. The atheist doesn't have to believe in God to be moral, but to have morality, mm. God must exist, whether he believes it or not. Yeah, yeah. So uh, borrowing from the Christian worldview, that's, that's exactly what uh, uh, presuppositionalists are always wanting to um, kind of bring into the equation. And there's our explanation for um, the the objection that we talked about in the last episode of well are you saying that uh, uh, atheists can't be a moral people no exactly the, the, this is this is the reason why they can be yeah they can be moral it's just the foundation right, <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> so grounding morality in uh, the personal relational God that's where we're at right now and uh, he says the non-theistic attempts to ground morality apart from God uh, they fail on different levels as well. Our moral sensibilities, or what remains after secularism has dulled them, are fundamentally connected to personhood and personal relationships. Uh, um, should I murder somebody? Well, if you're Robinson Crusoe on his uh, island and Friday hasn't shown up yet, what does that mean if you're not talking about murder who? what Murder is a, an act towards somebody, and right, so you need right. that somebody in order to be moral or immoral. So, um, Our... Uh, virtues and vices uh, presuppose interpersonal relationships. Good and evil are meaningless apart from how persons treat other persons. Uh, I love my dog. Oh, but I don't have a dog. But I, I love him. <laughs> well, what does that mean? I, yeah, I, there, yeah. there's, there's no interpersonal relationship there. So you, you can't love your dog, but you don't have a dog to not love or love. So it, it becomes meaninglessness there. Thus, moral imperatives are grounded in a source that is itself personal. Again, this is what we talked about uh, uh, that Scott Chris or that uh, that Mitch Stokes talked about that we talked about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this rules are naturalistic sources which are impersonal and non-relational. Right. So the the point he's trying to make here is that um, you know morality can't be rooted in naturalism, right? It's it has to be our values and that sort of thing have to be grounded in persons. People value yeah. things. Some you know abstract or objective rock doesn't have va- doesn't value anything yeah. right it has to be us so the source then of uh of these types of uh, relationships more relationships is from persons it mm-hmm. has to be grounded in persons right right in other words he says that moral uh, fun- uh moral obligations are fundamentally relational right morals are not Propositions of fact about the way things are, they are facts about the way things ought to be. Mm-hmm. Abstract propositions such as 2 plus 2 equals 4 do not impose any obligation on us, right? 
They don't want us to do anything. <laughs> right? Abstract propositions, they don't have intentions. They do not move our conscience, right, to, to consider how we ought to act. But moral intuitions press us to act in one way or to refrain from acting in other ways, yeah. right? Thus, morals, he tells us, um, do not have an abstract naturalistic source. And that's the point he's trying to make here, right? He's saying that uh, to say that, uh, you know, morals come from nature, it has a naturalistic source, is a category mistake. Only personal, intelligent beings demand moral obligations from mm-hmm. us. Right? And, and we see that when, whenever we watch a, a really good movie that moves us to tears or happiness or anger is because we're seeing that kind of that moral um, uh, direction of the character or characters on the screen that causes us to, to relate to that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just, a, oh, there's a bird that flies by. It's a, a person who, under extreme uh, torture or duress, stands up and cries freedom or, you know, <laughs> uh, what, what, uh, whatever gets, uh, gets you going there. Um, and so uh, that's, that's what we see um, on a daily basis, even in our entertainment. So the, the standard for moral imperatives must be a personal lawgiver, someone who... Uh, uh, sets forth uh, the standard and is personal, mm-hmm. a, a being, who is unequivocally free of the potential for moral corruption. Otherwise, such a lawgiver would forfeit the sort of trust that is required for any equatable moral imperatives that he would impose on others. You know, so um, going back to the uh, the revolution, uh, why 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 did the 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 people? Um, uh, t- uh, rebel against the king. It's because even the king was subject under the law in of itself. He he was the actor who carried out the law and was able to move within certain uh, directions to guide uh, this understanding. But uh, having a, a a person that is, um, they, they knew that the, the the law being imperfect, they he was um, violating even in his capacity as right. the king. Right, and, and so that- they they viewed it as as a, a proper form of rebellion against the this type of law. Right. A, a corrupted king can't be trusted. A corrupted king shouldn't be obeyed. Right. right. And so uh, if you have a if you have a corrupt more uh, moral lawgiver, then, you know, that's 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 uh, that's an excuse for pause. Wait a minute. I don't you know, I shouldn't be obeying him. So what he's saying here is, though, that you need a lawgiver who is um incorrupt right right so that you could they can be trusted mm-hmm. to to make the you know to give the law that's correct and make the judgment that is moral right right, right. and uh, the, just think about it if if the opposite so so obviously what we theists are going to to suggest is hey we must turn to the christian god for the standard obviously right. that's where we're going right but the the the, rebe- the rebellion is like oh here's God he's you know he's out there he he's you know this this perfect of all possible beings and you know he judges you for little mistakes that you can make and you could live a perfect life except for that one thing and he could send you off but if you were if you were to take the opposite and say 
okay, well, you know, uh, God gives you 16 chances. And after the 16th one, well, maybe he'll come in and, and pop you in the nose. Well, that's not fair. How come he doesn't give us 17? Yeah. <laughs> right? or, or or what kind of God is it that, that demands us to follow law but gives us 16 chances? Yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. Why does he get 16 chances? He should have been punished with one, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So unfair, unfair. So so it's it's not it's not I'm able to 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 decry this the standard. It's that I don't like the standard, and so that's what we should be um, uh, addressing more if we're going to take that route in, into having an objection against uh, 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 the Christian God. Mm-hmm. Only in a biblical religion is there an absolute principle that is personal. Only the personal lawgiver, the judge of the universe, and the human heart qualifies as, so he judges the universe and the human heart. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, he justifies <laughs> as the supreme exemplar of righteousness, justice, truthfulness, and love. And he's able to make beings for the good and for, for destruction so that he can show this type of character to his creation. Yeah. He's able to do that because he's made us, he owns us. He's able to dictate how the universe exists when you drop a pencil uh, from the uh, you know from the table or to, uh, above the table to, onto the table, and he's also to tell you um, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, don't cheat on your wife, and also uh, do good works. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. And so you know he says our collective human consciences share a revulsion for evil, such as rape and torture and, and pedophilia and that sort of thing. And he says, we know that we must refrain from engaging in these horrific acts. And knowing that we cannot ground objective moral standards and uh, unequivocal moral duties apart from God tells us how extremely hard that it is to escape the fact that he has, um, that he hates these things and has done that long before we did. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> yeah. We, we don't like that, that, that sort of thing, except when I do it and it, it should be viewed as lesser because I'm not raping and torturing people. I I might just be, you know, uh, cheating on my wife. And, you know, what 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 sense does God have to, to, to be concerned about that? That's between me and every other person that I'm with. Right. So, yeah. uh, no, he, he does care. And yeah. he's able to care because he's the one that uh, made things like marriage and relationships and sexual unions and the, the all the factors that work in all those factors as well. So here's a problem we do have. Christianity is a good problem. Oh, good. Finally, I'm glad we're done with the evil. Now we deal with the good. Well, this doesn't make the problem of evil go away. We were so close. We are so close. I thought he was going to pull, pull a rabbit from his hat. But it clears the field of debris and charges, and charges of Christian hubris. Yes, Christianity has this problem squarely dropped in its own lap. We have to deal with the evil what does it mean? How did we get here? What are we doing with it? But that is not the terrible burden that so many have said it is. Non-atheist accounts of good and evil. Non-theist. Uh, right? Sorry, yes. Uh, non-theistic yeah. accounts of good and evil are bankrupt. And that is a far more serious problem. Christianity has a problem. We understand the evil part. We need to understand the problem part. But it is a good problem because we have nobody else uh, has the resources to address it except for the biblical Christian God. Right. And so non-Christians can only feign outrage over injustices, right? I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, that's just what you don't like. (laughs) So they can feign outrage over injustices without giving an account of why they ought to be outraged. Well, because I just don't like or it's evil. What do you mean? I don't like it. Oh, right. You stole my retirement money (laughs) and you lived like a king. 
yeah, but I had really a lot of fun. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, oh, I got to go to jail for the last 20 years of my life that were probably going to be the bad part. Eh. <laughs> All right. No, no, you, you broke, you broke your word. Oh, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. So what? <laughs> yeah. Right. So non-Christians can, you know, only feign outrage over injustices, right? Humans cannot explain why we suffer from injustices unless there's a way to objectively uh, quantify that something ought to not have happened as it did, right? Can we justify sympathizing, for instance, with starving children if we have no way of saying that the real evil, right, it's really evil and that's what's befalled them, right? Mm-hmm. Can we, can we ju- you know, justify sympathizing with them? He tells us that biblical Christianity has a way to answer these questions that no other religion or ideology can can match. And so, yes, there's a problem of evil. We have the problem, but he's suggesting we have answers. The non-theist, the atheist, has the evil part, right, and explaining that, and they don't have the right. answers, right? So that's the that's the conundrum that he puts them in in this particular situation right where does evil what is evil what does it come from why is you know uh, why does it exist and and that sort of thing yeah just everything's societal and we have the icky factor because society has bred us to to do that except for the people that don't or live in different parts of society or come to the same conclusion in different parts of the world and different societies so uh it just seems to be uh no there's there's not a uh a satisfying grounding to even talk about the first part. Right. Which well, is well, here, here it is. Uh, it's uh, human flourishing. Anything that's against human flourishing is evil. Yeah. Of course, the question is, why is that? Or what is human flourishing? Like yeah. it, it, the, 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 <laughs> this, this factor of, uh, okay, so, um, so the industrial revolution happens and we uh, bleed the entire world of, of oil and pollute it all in the air. We flourish there. But now it's seven generations later, uh, global warming, and we've run out of resources, and <laughs> Oops, we've, yeah. we've 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 um, we've put into stocks what uh, capital goods what uh, aren't sustainable. We're not flourishing anymore. Right. So which, which was one that is the evil? Was it evil now? Yeah. When? Yeah. What do we mean by evil? Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. so uh, that's a that's a good point for the rest of this chapter is that we didn't cover everything. We couldn't cover everything unless we want to spend probably five episodes in this chapter. And so two is pretty good. So in, in this, he talks about the, the trouble that we have in quantifying and qualifying uh, 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 human flourishing. Yeah. And also things like um, the need for God to be a Trinity to uh, help to understand the problems of good and evil. I yeah, thought that was really exactly. good in here as well uh, that I've seen in other books, but that, uh, that is done here as well. So um, if you liked what, what you heard from us, uh, we were only reading his words and putting our own spin on it uh, in, in a, a way that uh, changes it for the better so um (laughs) that makes you flourish and and so it was good (laughs) but it wasn't evil pick up the book uh read it along with us uh find out more there's a lot more highlights uh to to do and uh so hopefully you'll be joining us next time as we find out uh, justifying the ways of god so we're we're gonna look at the the good parts of of christianity we're gonna begin to try to work through the the solving the problem of evil Right. right Uh, So thanks for uh, checking us out, and we'll see you next time as we read uh, What About Evil. See you next time.